This is 15 Minutes of Freedom. I'm your host, Ryan Nidell, and today's episode is Getting Past Your Past. In the evolution of podcasting here at 15 Minutes of Freedom, today is the second episode in which my lovely wife dons her presence in the studio, and she's sitting across from me right now ready for getting past our past. Say hello, sweetheart. Woohoo! Hello, everyone. So in the first episode, for those of you who didn't listen, it's seven episodes ago. It was episode 54. In episode 54, we covered the first six months of our relationship. Yep. wasn't necessarily an enjoyable six months. It was enjoyable because I got to meet and grow and cultivate a relationship with my wife. But it wasn't enjoyable in the fact of I was a complete asshole. Complete asshole from the, the standpoint of like I wasn't telling the truth. I had built this shell of lies around who I really was and was hiding a big chunk of what was going on in my life from Lindsay, from the business that was slowly failing to uh, an external relationship that I'd had with another woman prior to meeting Lindsay that had carried over into Lindsay and I's first six months of our relationship. So unfortunate, but that's just real. That's what it was. So if you go back and listen to episode 54, you'll get more of a context of what this episode's about. So I think it's important to take you guys through a sequential series of events to paint the picture of where we're at today, four and a half years into our relationship, happily married, co-owned businesses together, have lived together for a long time. We have admittedly a great life. Like our relationship, I boisterously say to anybody that asks, is the most positive force of what I have going on every day. Like the business can suck. I can feel like shit physically. I can be tired. Like my spirituality can be all fucked up. But I know every day, at least my partner has my back. Like we just have a really good thing between us. Absolutely. Home life is always fun life. It is. It is. And so part of that to me is explaining the next step of how we got past that first six months. And moreover, not only the first six months, but then what it really means to get past the past. So I know from my side of the table, the issues that I had were bigger than just our six months of our relationship. Oh, for sure. Those were things that had been kind of anchored and ingrained with you from the start. Yeah. And I can't even say kind of like they were fucking destroying me. The weight of them consistently in my mind and on my back was destroying me over the course of literally as long as I can go back and remember, like I truly believe, and I've shared this with Lindsay and might've even had an episode or two about this, that in your formative years from somewhere between four and five years old up to 10 or 12, we all have a series of events that go on in life. Mm-hmm. Good, bad. I don't care if you've had the perfect upbringing. You have a, a mother and a father that are still married that were present in your life that loved you and showered you with gifts and attention. There's still something that we in that developmental time look as a negative. Like it's something that didn't go the right way. Like as we sit across the table from each other in the, in the studio, I come from a broken home. My parents got divorced at 14, moved around the country, like bounced around, had a father that was absent, had a mother that tried but overcompensated for things. Like my story is much different than Lindsay's. Yeah. On my side of the table, I have parents that have been married for 45 years. I didn't have a broken household. My mom stayed home with us until I think I was probably in middle school and then got a part-time job and she was always home to get us off the bus. My dad worked very hard, provided for the family. Like I had a very solid upbringing with more of a quote unquote traditional sense. Absolutely. And through that, though, if I were to ask you, like, from that age of four until age of 12, knowing who you are today, if you were to look back and be honest, I mean, not this bullshit, the stuff that we're supposed to say, the stuff you don't want your parents to hear because you want them to be upset or your siblings or your extended family. But there was inevitably some shit that went on from four to 12 that formed who you are today. Oh, sure. Good and bad. I can definitely I have core memories from that time. Absolutely. So give us a. Let's talk about something that's a positive. I mean, it's easier to talk about the positive. Like during those formative years, what's some good things that you remember? What are some things that as you look at your life now, you're like, man, I I learned this great thing back then and I've applied it to my life today. Um, I honestly, I think the biggest takeaway was that my, even though my father traveled a lot, he was out of the country in and out for his job. Um, What'd my, your father do? My dad was a politician for a majority of my life growing up, and then he kind of switched into, he was a director for ODOT, the Ohio Department of Transportation here. Um, and so he developed roadways and figured out all the construction that everybody hates in Columbus has been his fault for 20 years. So everything, you're, you you have always lived in Columbus. I mean, you guys, your parents still have the same house My parents still have the same house that I moved into when I was two years old, mm-hmm. and that has been the same. And they will probably have that house until one of them dies. And my dad is now in his 70s. He's retired. My mom um, still works here for a local um, insurance company. She works for Nationwide, huge, huge company. Um, and my mom was always home with us, which I, in turn, wanted to do for my daughter. And because um, 
you know, we always had that traditional household that I loved. We had um, my mom would get us up, make us have breakfast, get us off to school, get us on the bus, like super positive. I always remember, you know, having that time in the morning with my both my parents and my brother. And then she was always there. We got off the bus and there was always a routine to my life and that kind of stuff. I enjoy and see positive. I had after school snack and we had homework time and then it was friend and play time and then, you know, getting ready for bed and all that. There was always a routine to my life. But that wasn't always our story. I mean, when you and I first got together, you were working, I'll say somewhat part time for a veterinary specialty hospital here in Columbus. And then as your divorce finalized, you went on your own. You had to also start to provide income for yourself. Yeah. So I was a stay-at-home mom until I got divorced. And I say stay-at-home mom loosely. I worked um, part-time hours around Gianna's preschool and kindergarten schedule. Um, so she went to preschool, quote-unquote, for socialization. It was a couple hours, a few days a week, not nothing major. But I was able to work around her schedule. And then when I went back to work full-time after I got divorced, I was slapped in the face with that reality of, holy shit, I'm going to miss like the dance practice or the gymnastics recital or the school play that's in the middle of the day that no working parent can get to. And that sucked. Yeah. And that that was the story of our life for the first almost year and a half, two years of our relationship. Yeah. Close to two years. Of course. And on the backside of that, again, as I've shared in, in multiple episodes, I came into the relationship with Lindsay and had a fair amount of cash in the bank was still in my mind successful mm-hmm. had started a new business that I thought had some good legs to it had cars and houses and things and then as time progresses in that business I miscalculate some variables and the business goes under and I uh, basically I, I lose basically everything in order to continue on with my life if you will so shut down the business and we end up having the fact of you know my truck gets repossessed almost oh, lose yeah. a rental property that I had that you know that was damn near in foreclosure. I think we were 10 days away from losing it. It had not Mm -hmm. been for for Lindsay helping me save it. We would have lost it. You know, I didn't have that cash thing around anymore. And so she almost didn't have a choice but to work. You know, here's here's her in her life where she's had a very successful ex-husband who supported the family and she got to work more as a luxury than a necessity. Yeah, I got to work for fun. I really liked what I did. So I was able to just go to work and have fun and then go home and not worry about anything else. Absolutely. And on my side, here's this massive smack in the face. Like every day I'm getting hit with a baseball bat to the side of the head. And not from Lindsay, but from myself. It's like this own internal story where I'm used to making big money, like 30, 40, 50 grand a month consistently to then not having that income come in, to then not only not having that income come in, but have to get rid of a bunch of money to shut down a business, to then not having anything left, not being able to support her. She has to work. And I'm like, what in the fuck happened to my life? Like true karmic Ball, ball <laughs> yeah, kicking, really. Yeah, kicked you in the balls big time, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, needed to. I mean, I had lived such a poor life and, you know, the quality of the individual that I was deep inside myself was always good, but the external shell was so shitty mm-hmm. that as I started to cleanse my soul and cleanse my palate and got caught doing all these things, it wasn't a thing that I was like strong in my convictions to be a good guy at that point is I got caught and I got caught cheating and I got caught doing all these things. And so I didn't have a choice but to reevaluate where I was at. And then through that, as I'm growing and rebuilding the person that I am today, the the rest of the karmic loop gets closed where I'm out of money. I have to come to her in complete humility like, you met me and I had a Porsche Panamera Turbo in my own place and I think a Ranger. Like, I had a bunch of shit. Like, it's yeah, all material you did. stuff. you had a lot of, like, stuff. Just material stuff. Like, I was a stuff guy. Now I'm like, I, I just surprise, one more <laughs> surprise to share with you. I'm <laughs> fucking broke now. I don't have any money left. Yeah, so you cheated on me. I had a big surprise other half-life that I didn't know about. And then you're like, and I have no money. I need help. Yeah, yeah, yep. pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much how that, that – that's the next six months. You know, that didn't happen in the first six. That's probably somewhere in the next six. But it's this, it's this crazy thing because you had to, in your own mind, get past this frame that you had built of your past. Like yeah, You had to – reshift and recalibrate not only because of me not coming to the table with money to support you but at that point in our relationship it probably wouldn't have been normal for me to support you completely like oh no and I wouldn't have expected you to of course that I mean I fully understood and it's crazy how many people in my life said I don't get divorced like it, it'll be fine just work it out or you know just live separate lives and you know you don't want to have to go back to work you don't want to have to struggle you don't have to leave this brand new house you built like all the things it was all built around things nothing that actually meant anything at, like as you're sitting on your deathbed like I'm not going to be able to take my house or my cars or my stuff I am going to be able to take like my morals and my family and just who I am as a person but let's call this what it is when you had to leave the house that you built 
you struggled with that shit with me for another oh, three I did or four struggle, months. and I, you know, honestly, it was because I, we built that house, and emotionally, I had put because everything else in my life was crumbling. I had put all my energy into building this house, so I made all the decisions and picked all the things, and I did everything almost totally by myself. I mean, my ex husband was there for a few signing of paperwork and stuff, and then that, that was about it. I did everything, and you know, went there every day and checked on it, and brought the workers stuff. I mean, just things that you do when you're building a house. I don't know if that's everybody, but it was me. And so I had an emotional attachment to the house that I didn't have to my husband. So I just, you know, I, I, I wanted to keep that house. And also as a mother, I thought, okay, Gianna has been through the process of building this house. This is her home now. But in, in all honesty, she doesn't remember anything about being in that house while my ex-husband and I still live there. Gianna was three at this point. When the house was finally yeah, built was and moved in, she'd almost just turned four, pretty close to her birthday. I mean, yeah. within a few weeks. Yeah, we yeah we moved in like the end of 2013, I think. Yeah, October, yeah. November of 13, yeah. and her birthday's in December, so yep. you know it couldn't have been that long. We were not in the house that long, no. But it's all these stories. It's all these things that you have to that we all have to eventually sit down and look at your past and the what forms the ideals that you have right now. Where Again, from where I said it, it's easy to, to not judge Lindsay, but to add value to her life. It, her family has been together the whole time. And her family admittedly said, you know, just tough it out. Like, it's okay that you're not fully in love right now. Just stay stay married for the kids. Like, stay married for your daughter. Yeah, and it wasn't like, you know, Lindsay be miserable. And it definitely wasn't my, my parents. It was some outside people within my family. But, you know, my parents wanted to make sure that I was happy, but also that I didn't just kick the can in before it needed to be kicked in my, my parents are old school Italians right they they are thick and thin old school Italian Catholics like you get married you stay married you figure it out you know there might be some years that really suck but you know get your teeth kicked in for a while and then get back on your feet it'll be fine and my point of view as I got older was there is no way in hell I'm going to be miserable forever forever like these were not things I took lightly it wasn't like oh one day I woke up and said yeah you know what I just don't want to be married anymore I put a lot of time and thought and effort and communication with my ex-husband about, hey, this is not working. I'm not happy. And I just decided to quit telling myself that story that I could, you know, make it work or just suffer through it or it eventually get better or wait a few years. That's all bullshit I told myself until I finally went, you know what? This is my only life I get. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm going. Absolutely. And I'm not casting dispersions upon your family or your parents or anybody in, in your circle that gave you that advice. It's just that was their life. And based off the fact that they raised you and you have been so close to them, that ended up being the frame that you were viewing your own life through. Oh, sure. I had huge, huge guilt. I mean, Catholic guilt, Catholic guilt is real, people. It is a real thing. You just... It's crazy to me. It's like, so... <laughs> I'm not going to get down the religious... <laughs> Don't go down the religious path. Like, it's so crazy to me that you could literally, in a, in a Catholic religion, just Here sit back and look at the fact <laughs> that you can do anything you want to Monday through Saturday, as long as you go to confession at some time on Sunday and you talk to a I'm priest that, no. that is ordained for whatever it is that makes him ordained, that he's holier than I am, that he can sit there and through this... Like this material wall, say to you, oh, all, all your sins are forgiven. Like say twelve Hail Marys, and it doesn't matter that you did whatever you did. Like that shit is nuts to me. Yeah, and you know, a random thought. But the first time I went to confession as a Catholic, you know, I had to go to CCD, and I begged my parents not to send me to Catholic school because they both went to Catholic school, and my brother and I were like, please, please don't let us go to Catholic school. But we did have to go to CCD, and and you know, baptizing, first communion, and the whole deal. I remember having to go to my first confession before my first communion and like sitting there thinking about, I mean, I was probably like seven or eight. Like, What is it that is that bad that I've, I've done? And I remember saying to the guy, well, I took a piece of gum from my mom's purse and I didn't ask her. And I went down to the creek without telling my mom. I went down. We, had, we lived across the street from a park and it had this creek running through it. So my brother and I would go down and catch um, crayfish. Mm-hmm. And little minnows or whatever in the creek. And we weren't supposed to go there unless an adult was with us because my brother's a couple years younger. And, you know, somebody's drowning in a three inches of water. Not really, but, you know, I went down to the creek. And, and then I, I, and now looking at it as an adult, I'm like, really? Like they pounded into me, like, what did you do? What did you do? What don't your parents know? Like, what, what's the bad thing? I mean, the, so the guilt then has now carried into my adulthood where I was just unable to tell any untruths at all and just felt horrible guilt about everything. Absolutely. And again, organized religion is just not for me at this point in my life. I'm not judging someone that goes on that path. If that's a, a core value, then 
that makes you who you are, own it, love it, live it. That's that's great. Just oh, absolutely, individualism. Whatever makes you you happier, float your boat. I'm I'm down with. Hundred percent. But all these things matter when you look at the way that you deal with present day issues. Like on my side, we spent a lot of time speaking about you know your upbringing and the way that you view life and how that goes into the divorce and and your relationship and the communication style. Yours was totally different. On my side, it's literally the polar opposite. Like I had a father that worked his ass off. So one of the things I learned from that is to work my ass off myself. Like I had my first full-time job at 13 or 14 and Mm -hmm. had always, I I don't remember a a week that I didn't work at least 40 hours a week, even when I was in high school. Like I would say that's a positive thing your father instilled in you. Absolutely. I'm not judging him for that. It's just, I saw that the harder you work, the more success you could have. And so that work ethic was part of it. Before I was 14, I had my own lawn mowing and landscaping business at 10. The minute I could push around my, my parents' lawnmower, like all these things, like that's a, that's a positive. Now in retrospect or to view that from another scope or another side of that equation, my father wasn't really ever around. So a lot of the life lessons, the minute he started climbing the corporate ladder, he put more value in the time he spent at work, looking that if he spent more time at work and made more money, he could provide a better life for the family. Right. That to me is a generation before my generation. Like that's normal. But in saying that, when he would come home, he was disconnected. He was sedating. He was not present in the moment. You know, he might actually, it was before cell phones and all this stuff. So he would physically go to the soccer game on a Saturday but you could tell he didn't want to be there. You could tell he was grumpy. I mean, him and my mother didn't have a good relationship. So, yeah. you know, there was silence in the car on the way to the soccer game. And then when I would get off the field, there would be a list of things I didn't do the right way because that was his style and methodology of training me to be a better person. That's crazy. I mean, like I had the complete opposite. Absolutely. My dad would travel. He would come home from like China or something and my brother would have a soccer game or I would have a horse show or I would have a soccer game and like, I can't imagine how tired that man must have been, but he showed up and he cheered and he was like the, you know, the team dad and brought snack and like spent time with us and then would come home and like kick the ball with us or throw the baseball or something. And he was present at all times, even if he wasn't there much. And I just didn't have that. Yeah. And it, this isn't a knock on my parents or attacking them. Like I've, I've come to terms and I'm a great peace with my upbringing, but it's all this stuff had mattered into the relationship that I'd forged with you where Mm -hmm. I look at, you know, based off Wake Up Warrior, that's Garrett J. White's thing. I mean, take a look at wakeupwarrior.com or kingskit.com. I mean, there's all different aspects of what Wake Up Warrior is. But part of that that shifted to me about a year ago was making sure that there's consistent date nights with not only you, but with Gianna, our daughter, and mm-hmm. one with the family. And that there's energy and effort put in every day to cultivating that. That it's not just being present when you get home from work. It's making sure that every day that Gianna and you are in the forefront of my mind. Yes. And you said that to me from, I mean – not the start, but you said that to me pretty early on in our relationship that you wanted to, whether you had kids on your of your own or you ended up with somebody that already had children, that you wanted to make sure that you broke that pattern that you had. Absolutely. And that's one of those things of, again, getting past your past and sitting down and spending time like in the quiet of your mind and whether it's an hour, 10 minutes, 10 years of eventually looking at the pieces and parts of your upbringing, looking at the pieces and parts of your parents' upbringing that you know deciding the pieces and parts you find truly valuable for you. Not what they've told you you should find valuable, not what society tells you you should feel valuable, but in your heart, in your in your soul, like what do you feel is valuable versus the things that then you can impact and change. So my father is a great man. I'm, I'm not, again, I don't want to attack anybody, but if I look backwards, he would even admit he wasn't present. He mm-hmm. wasn't there. So that's something that, okay, I know how that made me feel. I know the limiting beliefs then that came from that for me. Mm-hmm. I have a different understanding now than I had four years ago when you and I first met, but I realized very quickly that I was in control of breaking that cycle going forward. Like my generation of my family tree doesn't have to operate that same way. I can decide to be home. I can decide to be present. And when I worked, you know, when I sold custom clothing, I traveled, I mean, I was 60 or 70,000 miles oh, a you year. you were rarely home. But when I was home, and you were it, home. It, it was a, I, I hate the word but, but admittedly when I was home, when I was in in our four walls, I was very present with the family. Absolutely. If I was on the road and I had to spend the night somewhere, I'd call and check in. There were all those things. But the minute I came home, it was family time. It was, and this is before Wake Up Warrior. This is before. Yeah. You still, I mean, you always made that effort and you wanted to break that pattern. And, you know, in with Warrior and what Garrett has given you, you have broken the pattern totally and had more tools to develop that, you know, thought that you had originally. Absolutely. But there's so many more layers to this. Like, we're touching on the high level stuff of those developmental ages, but developmental years and 
the decisions that become present in your life in your adult years. But there's a lot more. Like for me, if I go way back, let me digress for just a moment. I've shared with you guys, I've never had a single time in my life. And I say single with not being in a relationship. Like I was the king of going from one relationship to another, to Mm -hmm. another, always having some sort of overlap, always having some sort of issue. Now I can look at it with a clear and conscious mind that some of that is making up for the fact that I had always had someone that kind of walked out on me. Yeah, it's an abandonment thing for you. Of course. And it's this thing that made me horribly insecure to be alone. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not an attack, but just factual. Father and I were super close until third grade. He kept climbing the corporate ladder, so he wasn't around. And he was around, he wasn't present, and he wasn't really enjoyable to be around. He worked Mm -hmm. himself to death. So I felt like I had this very close father figure who was massively impactful, and then he's not around anymore. Okay, so that's the first person that leaves. And then my grandfather, on my 13th or 14th birthday, he he had replaced my father as that guidance figure. Grandfather and I were very close on my mother's side, extremely close. And as time progresses, you know, as a young teenager, you, you want to spend time with your friends. And it's a weekend, and I'm supposed to drive up to Youngstown. He lived just outside of Youngstown in New Middletown. Drove, we're supposed to drive up to him and spend my birthday with him. I didn't want to. You know, I wanted to have sleepovers. And hang out with your friends. All that stuff. Longest story short, my grandfather ends up passing away that weekend. I don't know if it was actually my birthday or a day before or a day after. It all gets ran together. But then he doesn't exit my life intentionally, but he's no longer around. So now there's another person that's gone. And then my parents are going through a divorce almost at the same time. And as the divorce is finalized and all the paperwork is done and my dad's stuff is out of the house and yada, yada, yada. I remember sitting down with my mother and her saying to me, like, look, I've spent the past 14 years raising you and your sister. Now it's my turn. Like, your dad has controlled me and I'm going out on my own, basically. I'll make sure you guys always have a roof over your head and there's food that you guys can eat. But it's your time now. Which, when you told me that story, I didn't. I believed you, but I was like, maybe he's remembering this from like a 14-year-old's mind. And that's not really what happened. But I've spoken to your mother about this. I've I've been present for the conversations about this. And that is 100% what happened. Absolutely. And again, I have to understand the fact my mom – so this, what's crazy about this whole shit is to me, every generation, until you stop and pivot and look back at all the stuff that's went on, you're never conscious of how to make adjustments real time. Like my mother had her own issues from her mother being – abusive to her and judgmental and my grandfather was the impactful person in her life so when he died her whole world got spun upside down and it's it's a cycle where no one ever took the time to stop and say like how do we fix this and not we being me but like and of course the internet wasn't around back then and all these tools weren't around back then and self-help and all these things weren't as readily available as they are today but back then it just didn't happen so my mom sits me down and says that to me well now here i am the first three people that are impactful in my life my mom basically told me to go fuck myself in their yeah. own way. And so now there's something inside me, coupled with the fact of I'm late in late bloomer, I'm late developmentally. I've shared with you guys I didn't have my first kiss till going to my senior year of high school. I didn't have my first girlfriend till into my senior year of high school. Like mm-hmm. nothing. So I have this really weird disassociation with women and the way that those relationships work. And the minute I start to get out on my own, it's like I need, like I'm searching for that fulfillment that I wasn't getting from. Yes, which you're unable to see at that point. You know, you can't see the forest through the trees when you're in the thick of it. Of course not. At that point, I was probably so self-assured boisterously that no one could tell me anything that I was going to fix my life the way I needed to that I'm not even sure somebody would sat down with me and showed me all this stuff if I would have listened. I'd like to think I was advanced enough, but realistically, probably not. There's some yeah. lessons you have to learn along the way, but where I started making mistakes is, you know, that, that first serious girlfriend I had, Brandy, that I should have been able to recognize some of these patterns, stop the cycle, look back and, and address them. But I wasn't able to. Like, I, I didn't ever give myself the time or the space to do that. Mm-hmm. And so it just becomes a compounding issue that carries on all the way until our relationship. Like, yeah. Again, these things are all out there and very transparent to me. So it's not that I'm proud of them, but these are all f- formative things that go into our relationship today, mm-hmm. where if you don't take that time and you don't take the energy to really, I hate to keep using the word pivot, but that's what it is. We're so oh, it's f- a total pivot. You have to stop and and readjust your point of view. And look behind you. Like Just because you get through something and just because you've conquered something doesn't mean you've learned all the lessons that are present from that. Until you can take some time and slow down your brain and really get deep into your emotions on that particular situation and how it affects you and what you want an outcome to be in the future if you're given the same opportunity, 
I think you're missing a lot of the gifts that come from conquering a situation. Like I, I carried it as a badge of honor that I moved out at 17 or 18 or whatever it was and you know, ended up putting myself through high school and went to college basically by myself and all these different pieces and parts. I carried those as like little shields of like, I'm the man, I could do all this stuff. And right, I got this. Yeah, sure, That that's still part of who I am today. Like that's part of, I mean, it's tattooed in my arms. I'll mm-hmm. find it where I'll make one. Like mm-hmm. it's something I believe wholeheartedly that no matter what I have to go through in life, I'll figure it out. But I don't think that a lot of people are given the tools. Like how many how many people do you know that their parents have taught them what you just said? To, to take whatever has beaten you down in life and learn from it. I think that's a basic. That's what people get as a basic, right? Oh, you know, you got knocked down, you skinned your knees, let's learn from this and you won't do it again. But like to go a step further than that and say, you know, what is it that you've learned? And then from that, what else it have you learned and what else have you learned and what else have you learned and like take it down the path a little more so you actually can pivot your life to do something different well absolutely like all these teachings all the things that are out now like the neuro-linguistic programming Mm -hmm. and the different ways to psychoanalyze your situations and all the different resources weren't there so it's one thing to ask and what else and what else i mean that's a great thing to go down in any situation once you've conquered it but when you go down that list of and what else, and there's nothing at the bottom of the list, and you look at this two-item list, four-item list, 12-item list, if you then can't take another period of time and analyze how to make all those pieces of and what else's applicable to the next evolution of your life, then you're missing the gift that came of that. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're just missing the whole piece of it. And that's what, in Lindsay and I's relationship, she was the catalyst for all that for me. I mean, sure, there's a lot of this that's based off who I am and that was inside of me. I mean, there were pieces and parts that I knew I wanted to grow and evolve, but I got caught cheating. And then we had a series of tough conversations, obviously, about that. And then jump into the next little spin of life in which our, my finances are just completely fucking destroyed. It's It forced a lot of growth and conversations that then caused me to even go deeper and look backwards as to why these things are happening. And it was with your help. Yeah, well, I mean... I, have, I think the number one question since the first podcast came out that I have received is, why did you stay? How did you get through it? And what did you do? And I, I don't have a solid answer for any of those things. I see energy in people. I just, it's one of those things for me. I can read people very easily. I see their energies. I can see just kind of into their soul a little. And I know it sounds a little wackadoo, but I just... I, if you're one of those people that can feel and absorb energy from other people, you'll understand what I'm saying. Your energy is nothing but love. You have just a loving, easy, genuine energy. And I knew that there was deep hurt buried somewhere. You weren't some womanizing asshole. You weren't going out for notches on your bedpost. You weren't going out for adulation just because. Like you were searching for something with meaning. You just weren't sure what it was and as we got to know each other for so many months before having a relationship before having any kind of intimate relationship I saw those things about you and and heard those things and whether you said them out loud or not I could read them so I just knew that there was something bigger something deeper something greater within you that made me go okay this is this is worth the the struggle this is worth climbing out of the hole with yeah and and I I am will eternally be grateful. I mean, our my vows were literally that you saw something in me, you saw a greatness in me that I couldn't see in myself. Mm-hmm. She was the first one to recognize that in me that I now feel wholeheartedly like I, I feel great in my own skin, but I didn't feel that back then. And so she, Lindsay kept encouraging that and bringing that out of me, even through some incredibly difficult times of having to face the fact of just infidelity. And we can slice and dice it and dissect that. And I think it's important to share from my standpoint, my mindset was I dated another woman and then met Lindsay. So I would look at the first evolution that I cheated on another woman with Lindsay. Yeah. Like the, the other woman had no idea about Lindsay and Lindsay of course had no idea about the other woman, but the, the image that I presented to Lindsay was I was completely single. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that's great. The first time, and I say the first time because there was another, I got caught in, I'll say August or September, don't know the dates. And then I continued to have conversation relationships with this same woman until the first week of November. Mm-hmm. And so the second time is where it's like, all right, now I'm truly a douchebag because I'm doing things <laughs> horrible on both sides. Like I cheated on the ex the first time. And now the second time, like I'm, I feel more like I'm cheating on Lindsay because she's the one I want to be with. Like I'm not honoring my commitment to her. 
but it's weird because there's all these old external hangups. Like my ex-girlfriend was significantly older than I was or yes. am, however you want to say it. And we met in some pretty unique circumstances, almost the same of her, you know, starting to go through a divorce and mm -hmm. some of these things. And I, I got to experience some of the motherly side of things of her mothering me, which in some capacity, I suppose I was looking for in a subconscious level. But then I also got to be the provider in that time, which was something that I was also looking for because I was doing well and I was able to pay for things and help help out her life and her family. And that made me feel good. Yeah. And that ended up setting this whole different benchmark for how that relationship operated. Like there was, because there was only success and abundance, it was very easy for me to always shower with gifts and, and material possessions that then set the level that like, that was almost the expectation. Yeah. Then, then you've backed yourself into a corner with things. Of course. And I don't know that, you know, it's, it's not fair for me to say how the relationship would have started or that it started and she was materialistic when we first got together, because I don't really know that to be true. Like it's so long ago, it wouldn't be fair. I don't know those things. But over time, if I'm honest in the situation, which I have to be, I also helped create a lot of materialism that then also had a disassociation and an improper relationship between, the, again, that male and female energy, that positive mm -hmm. and negative, that the two pieces of the relationship were not only is there a materialistic piece that we're both running under, but because I had been unfaithful or because I hadn't been honest or the way that we met or just the things that we went through, she ended up taking a lot of my masculine energy away and I gave it to her. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's laughable now because of how I view life. And I would call Lindsay and I very equal partners. I don't think that there's a thing in which I'm better than her or that a man should be first or any of this crazy shit. Like, I don't know, but I know, like, you're the man. Like, I, I like it when you lead. I like it when you're like, okay, here's, here's what we're doing and this is the plan and blah, blah, blah. There's always a conversation. It's not like a dictatorship, but it's just like, I like that you are the fucking man like that. You just, you just own it. Yeah, and I think men that are listening to this episode specifically, a good friend of mine was asking me questions about his relationship, just really general high-level things. And what I feel happens is when a, we meet a woman, they're typically seeing us in our best light. Like we're the most masculine we're going to be in that point because we're puffy-chested a little bit. We're trying to prove our, our dominance, you know, we're trying to show that we're the leader of the pack, whatever it is. Like, and it doesn't have to be a, a forced or egotistical thing, but we're coming into a relationship most people, not me, with very little baggage. And you're just showing up, you're present, like you're there. And you're trying hard and you're dating and you're setting up dates and you're, you're doing all these things like, hey, I'm gonna take you out on Friday, I wanna take you to this restaurant, I'm gonna pick you up at this time. And you don't realize you're doing it, but you're setting this great benchmark for how your relationship should be. Yeah, like that's the groundwork that is making her fall for you, those things that you're taking the lead on a little bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you're setting those groundwork and then, then life happens. And it's not to me a thing of, you know, good or bad, but this goes on for a series of months, weeks, however long mm -hmm. it is for you. And eventually you get to the point of, okay, you've taken the lead for 12 dates. And so we think as a man, it's, oh, what would you like to do tonight? And the minute the woman typically says, I don't know. I don't know. Where would you like to eat? It's like the, the world conversation between couples. It's back and forth. And I it's all know. bullshit. Like what your woman's telling you the first time she says that is she wants you to still lead. Yes. A strong woman, weak woman, independent, like these aren't judgmental things. These are just, to me, my facts of life at the fact of the minute she says, I don't really care, keep fucking leading, like keep saying, keep dating, keep courting, keep setting up the dates, keep planning things. Yes, because if I have something I really want to eat, I can say it. Yeah, like I put in your memory bank of as you're having dinner, as you're talking on the phone, it's not specifically around a date night. Ask her some different places she'd like to try to eat. Keep a running tally of those things and then set up the dates for those places. Mm -hmm. But over time, life again gets in the way more. And now there's arguments and discussions and emotions and these things happen. And as men, we try to, many of us are pleasers. Like we're people pleasers. Like I wanna make sure that Lindsay's life is as good as possible. And fixers. And fixers and all these different adjectives that we can use to describe who we are. But like with Lindsay, that shit doesn't really work. <laughs> like I can't really fix those issues. And, and, and I'm having this conversation with this gentleman, this again, close friend of mine. And I'm like, look, man, she fell in love with who you were when you first got together. Mm -hmm. And if you look at who you are now and you're trying to fix problems and you're trying to figure out this piece and that piece and trying to do all this stuff, that stuff doesn't work. Like it's going to feel uncomfortable because now you have to reestablish yourself as the man again. Like you have to stand in front. You have to, and you're, he's a great guy. I mean, he's, he's still, you know, obviously opens doors and holds hands and cares about his, his girlfriend a lot. It's, he's not on a bad path, 
But if you took two snapshots of the first three weeks of their relationship versus now, I don't know, eight months, two years, I don't know how long they've been together. But the roles and responsibilities have drastically shifted, and he is not showing up as the present man that he was a long time ago. He's showing up as a guy that just wants to fix everything. I'm sorry. I, how can I help you? How can mm -hmm. I? And I am not saying you shouldn't ask your partner how to help them. But what you need to do is be the fucking man. Like, yes, 100%. Yes. Show up, be present. There's, you know, in the, in the book, uh, shit, I don't know. I reviewed it. Now I'm drawing a blank. I call bullshit? Nope. The. I know, life lessons. We've reviewed a, f a few books on here. That's what it is. The Code of the Extraordinary ah, Man. Man, okay. that was a super long pause. We're not even going to edit that out, so I apologize for that in <laughs> advance. I'm typically way more sharp than that. Doug for the win. Yep, and, and Code of the Extraordinary... No, I'm not Code of the Extraordinary Man. It doesn't matter. In this, in this fucking <laughs> we book... We don't know what book. There's this, there's this principle in this theory that, to me, lines up perfectly with how my mind works, is you have a feminine energy and a masculine energy, and the universe works off positives and negatives. I mean, mm -hmm. look at the North and South Pole. Like Just in saying that, look at the male anatomy versus the female anatomy. I mean, they're different. One extends in and one goes one goes out however you want to look at it yeah so you have this positive negative energy so i ryan come home from work and Lindsay is super emotional in her female energy right now just in this magic she's never been this way i can assure you <laughs> like this, this is just a super hypothetical this crazy italian day or yeah you know whatever it is okay. she, i come home and she's just emotional whether whether she's crying or she's mad or whatever it is it's typically mad i'm not a crier no so i know much. it's a hypothetical it's completely hypothetical but in that i'm faced with two choices in that moment I can succumb to it and, oh, I'm sorry, and hold her and count, like cater to her and like kiss her ass. And that's one option. But if you're honest with what that is, that is a feminine energy. That is not fucking masculine at all. No, it's not. I mean, you would be that way like if one of our dogs died or something tragic happened. You, of course, would be like, I'm so sorry and I love you and I'll hold you and all that. But if I'm just pissing and moaning and crying about you know I don't want to do the dishes or I didn't get enough laundry I mean some something stupid or I had to I sat in traffic forever no you tell me to shut the fuck up <laughs> like admittedly you have to meet that back with a masculine energy that counteracts is equal to or higher than the feminine energy that you're bringing to the table mm -hmm. so she's emotional and let's let's put some bullshit numbers on it let's say she, her emotional level is an eight and she's stomping around the house and she's pissed off about whatever the more stoic and steadfast I am in the decisions and my presence, I'm holding space in the room. Like I am exuding the fact that I'm in control, not in a control mechanism of like she is succumbing to me, but just that I'm here. I'm in that moment with you and we're going to be okay. Yeah, like your, your presence is strong. Absolutely. If I can outlast her in that moment in a little bit of a pissing match that she doesn't know what's going on, this is more of a like a mental thing that's happening, <laughs> eventually – she wears down and her feminine energy succumbs to my masculine energy because they have to balance each other out. And I'm able to slowly back that down until we're both at a zero. Mm -hmm. When we're both at a zero, now we can reestablish and rebuild that level of communication to talk about the way to fix that issue. You can't fix the issue when your emotion levels an eight because you're not able to process things. And I'm certainly not able to. If, I, if I'm in an eight in my stoic and steadfastness and holding space and being present masculinely, like I can't give logical advice the same way no that is not the time to talk for men or women and so it's just backing it down but this is all again coming from the fact of getting past my past see in past relationships i didn't realize all this shit was present like i didn't even think about masculine and feminine energy i didn't think about the way that i corresponded with my partner i didn't think about literally in every past relationship i would come home and she would be mad and i would do everything i could to fix it yeah, you kind of got walked over for a yeah, while. Yeah, but I, I allowed it. Like, that was what right. I thought was the right way to operate. And especially when I was making money. And admittedly, the, the shit behind the scenes of me feeling guilty for how bad of a person I was being, the way I could fix that was always like, all right, I'm sorry. Let's go get dinner. Let's go buy shoes. Let's yeah. take a trip. Let's. It was just let's do things that didn't made me not have to have the tough conversations in that moment because I fucking hated tough conversations. I know you did. But it's funny is when you said, like, let's, let's go get dinner. Let's go get shoes. I think the first couple of weeks we were dating, he bought me like a pair of Nike tennis shoes, like brand new Nike Airs, very fun, expensive tennis shoes and like a gym outfit to go with it. And then something else, like I think it was like three different Nike shoes and a couple of Lulu outfits or something. And I'm like, what is that? Like, I'm not a material person. I don't like, I mean, I love stuff. Don't get me wrong. But like you kept showering me with stuff and I'm like this, maybe this is his love language. Maybe this is what he, but that was just what you were used to. 
that was your past. You wanted, you need, you had somebody that needed things all the time. Well, that and the fact that I felt in the back of my mind that was a way to overcome my shortcomings. It was a thing. And double-sided answer there. We have a whole room in our house that ends up having (laughs) tennis shoes. And we're not talking like just a couple tennis shoes. I probably have... 150 plus pairs of tennis shoes, many in which are still in brand new boxes that I have never worn before. I'm a, I'm a sneaker head of my own capacity. Yeah, like, he's got like a, it's old Jordans. Love old Jordans, love old uh, Air Maxes, love yeah. the things from when I was a kid because all those times I was working, working those full-time jobs, I would have to save up all summer for whatever the hottest new shoe was. And they'd always come out in August and school would always start in September. So I'd work my ass off all summer to make sure I had 200 bucks sitting around to buy whatever the shoes were. It was shoes, it was Tommy Hilfiger cologne. It uh-huh. was maybe a pair of Timberland boots. Like I was definitely more on the urban side of my my dress code. My I mom, love it. My mom wouldn't let me wear saggy jeans, so I had to buy no. 38 waist jeans because I could then keep them cinched at my waist so they weren't sagging. <laughs> but they were still baggy. But, but they looked huge. Like that was my <laughs> so workaround. Stupid. I always had a workaround. I love it. So all that stuff is carried on into my adult life, and I think that's again looking at my past. That's nothing that I want to change. Like. My, my shoe hobby or habit or addiction has not No, just another affected. pair of Jordans came to the house this week. They didn't. It hasn't affected our relationship. <laughs> it hasn't. Other than the fact we have this, literally this, I don't know, 20 by 20 bedroom that is. It is floor to ceiling in the whole closet shoes. And then shoes uh, on racks against the wall. I mean, just shoes. And they're not my shoes. Yeah, not so one pair of shoes. If anybody listening me. has a pair of 13 Jordans, Air Maxes, <laughs> something a little, you know, off That the, we off don't the have. <laughs> I could even have a pair. So what I was doing for a long oh, time yeah. was. I would buy two pair of every shoe. So you could wear one and save one. That's right. And when I wear one, it's not like I'm like beating <laughs> on it. Like I just would wear it once or twice, but I didn't want the bottoms to be dirty. No. Like this really, it, it makes no sense. We have I, like a whole shoe cleaning collection underneath our sink downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not mad at it, honey. Like it's your thing. You really. It is my thing. And as I say it. that, most of the days now I come to the office wearing uh, a pair of Chuck Taylors. If for $50. For 50 bucks, maybe 40. <laughs> I, I try to buy them on sale. Like it's, it's just. It's so not important right now, but I still love the collection. I digress. Like, we've taken a, a sharp left turn But that's turn what here. happens when we just have conversations. That's true. But all these things are pieces of our formative years that have carried over into our adult life. And what I found is, if I look at the successful relationship I have now versus a series of unsuccessful relationships, the biggest catalyst for that change, number one, was, of course, Lindsay. I've always given her credit for that. But number two is my ability to stop for a moment and spend, whether it's weeks or months, looking backwards and realizing what it is that I want to change about my life. Like, what are these old stories that no longer serve me going forward? And when I could start to realize what the stories were that didn't serve me, it then allowed me to talk through with either Lindsay or you know mentors or things like that of, okay, this story doesn't serve me. I need to create a new story. I need to create a new truth, a new reality for myself. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. When I started to create those new realities, it started to change the formation of our relationship, the way we communicated, the growth we've experienced, all that. And I would say, of course, the same thing for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this has always been a two-way street. Yes. And in that two-way street, go back to the masculine and feminine energy for just a second. I have been hell-bent on this term I call expansion. Like, I fucking hate being stagnant. Like, it's death to me. It drives me fucking crazy. Which you've always kind of been that way, just not to this extent, but you've always been that way. Correct. So when I first started dating Lindsay, as I shared, she had a job and she was work 40 hours a week and worked for 40 years to retire with 40% of your income. And Mm -hmm. her family had followed that same path, give or take. And there were all these things that were social confines that she had adopted over her life that are not good or bad. They were just hers. Right. You practice what you know most of the time. 100%. And here I am, this more creative, entrepreneurial I'll try everything. I've been broke plenty of times in my life. It's not going to kill me. Like, I'll figure this shit out. And some of that in our conversation, me pushing Lindsay into reading and expanding her mind and starting to literally question everything. Like, nothing is, in my opinion, exactly what it seems. It's been so refreshing to see her grow and expand and morph into her own highest version of herself. And she works on herself every day the same way that I do. It's not exclusive just to me, the, the core four and the things that I do. She does yeah, her own version Yeah, that's not an of. exclusive man thing. And I know that Warrior has done something with women now, but yeah. the same practices that you do, I do. Absolutely. And that's that's created this shift in our family where I can truly say that if you're in a relationship now and you are looking to expand and you want more for yourself, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure that's part of why you listen. I get 
literally this morning, it's crazy. I posted, I think, seven to 12 messages that came in just in the time I went to the gym. I loved those today. Of just the crazy things that you guys have reached out to me and said, like, my, the podcast has impacted my life, and I didn't have a father figure, and like I look at you almost as a father figure in this moment. Like, there's these crazy things that fill my heart up more than I know how to express. But in that, I have to challenge you guys that as you are getting into relationships and as you want a path for more and you are not sure if your partner does or not, offer them the opportunity. Don't mm-hmm. beat them over the head with it. Don't tell them you have to do this. There will come a point where energetically you realize if this person is willing to expand at the same level that you are or if they are not. Mm-hmm. In the hypothetical world we're discussing, at that moment you're going to be faced with two different opportunities. Water yourself down and become a less high version of yourself because if your partner doesn't want to expand, you can't reach the level of ascension that you inevitably are capable of. Mm -hmm. And so you can water yourself down and stay with that person. Or you can let that person go and keep growing and someone else will come into your life that's going to help you reach that next level. Yeah, because if you take the, the first option, you're inevitably going to be held back by that person. Like if their energy doesn't line up with your energy whether you're growing or not at the same pace or you're growing into different things, if you guys are both sharing that energy of growth and expansion and, and self-development and just finding more about life, you're going to be able to move forward together. Absolutely. It doesn't make you a bad person to address a situation that doesn't serve you. Like I spent, shared it openly, I spent 12 years of my life in situations that didn't serve the highest version of myself. Mm-hmm. I refuse to ever do that again. So much so that Lindsay and I, uh, six months ago, maybe longer, maybe eight months ago, doesn't the timetable doesn't matter, but before we got married, she had started to exhibit some, I'll say more negative thought patterns than I was accustomed to for her. Mm-hmm. Looking at some of life for whatever was going on in that moment as more half empty than half full. Yeah, uh, just peaks and valleys of life, but I, I was kind of stuck in that spot where I'm just like, man, I'm just seeing the worst case scenario in some things right now, and I just... I don't know how to get off this hamster wheel. And so we sit down, and in that moment, I realize and share with her, I love you more than anything else on the planet. I love you and Gianna. I love our life. But if you're going to continue to operate this way, I know long-term our relationship won't work, and I'm going to have to leave. Yeah, and you were just, it wasn't like an ultimatum. It was like we were just having an open, honest conversation. And I'm like, man, I know this is my mind frame. I don't know how to get out of it right now. I'm going to need a little kicking the pants or need some help or whatever. Like I, I need a different set of tools because my toolbox is empty and you were supportive and communicated with me about it. But you, you did, you absolutely said like, we got to fix this. Cause that's not, that doesn't work for me energetically long-term. It doesn't work for me either, but you know, it was wonderful to have a partner that supported me in that and just say, okay, I get it. We're going to, we're going to revamp the toolbox, but this better work because I don't like negative energy. I can't, I can't grow around it. Absolutely. And those things are tough conversations. Like that's one of the first times where I'm willing to, in that moment, my own personal growth and who I am as a person, what I know I'm capable of achieving now outweighed our relationship. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy because she responded back to that with open arms and loving. And I will call it almost an ultimatum. It wasn't I was going to leave that day. But if, if life had continued down that path, we wouldn't be married right now. Yeah. I just, I'm not willing to settle for less than I'm capable of. And nor is Lindsay. But that took me focusing, changing that mindset and methodology because my entire adult life was wired the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. I had found somebody that I cared about. We have a great life. The outside world thinks we're happy. All these things are good. I'll water this down and it'll eventually work itself out. I'm not going to rock the boat. But by not rocking the boat, you never fixed or addressed any of the issues that no, I was, we're bothering you. I was I was drilling holes in the boat instead of rocking it. I was just Correct. letting water in all the time. Instead of sitting down together, which we did, and say like, look, and and you and I have had those conversations about you too with your growth and struggles, and I've said the same thing, like, yeah, this either changes and and you know we move on or it doesn't, and I'm out. Absolutely. So with this. As you, I'm going to ask you, as I always do, to sit down and take stock of your life. Like, Take some idea and ownership of where you're at currently in this moment. If you look at your relationship that you have right now, whether it's with friends or with a significant other, male or female, doesn't really much matter. When's the last time that you sat down and looked backwards at your life to determine how you're treating your current partner, friend, or relationship? What are the life events you're letting carry over into the present day that are limiting the growth you could experience with the person that you care about most? 
when you start looking at those and addressing them, you're able to then make new decisions that help that grow and expand. For me, I can look at the body too. Like I had created this story in my head for years that I needed to be this massive bodybuilder in order to be more of something. That was a bullshit story that I told myself from my past for years because I was insecure, I was skinny, I used anabolic steroids and the growth that I had as a, as a man physically, not as a means of pounding my chest, but as a means to mask my insecurity. And you're still dead sexy without the steroids. Damn right, thanks. That's right, right, baby. Yeah. So you look backwards at that and it's a story. It's something I had a, the ability to change just as you do. You'd, if you've been a long distance runner your whole life and you don't really wanna do that anymore, but that's what defines you, you think, and you can't be who you wanna be Based off that, it's just a, you just have to think about what serves you and make a decision. Mm-hmm. And same thing in your, in your business. Like it takes a big leap to jump out and try to produce for yourself. And I know, I don't believe that being an entrepreneur is for every person. Like I just don't. Some of, some of us listening, some of us in the world are better at getting a monthly salary than accelerating up through a food chain, through a corporate ladder. I respect that completely. But if your heart and soul has been tugging at you for a long time to go out on your own and chase your dream, chase your passion, much like this podcast has, and just to go with it, I'm going to encourage you to don't let these past shells of stories dictate how you can operate in the future. Because it will limit you. And when you can address the old limiting behaviors and make decisions around them, you can come up with a new path for your life. And if that new path for your life ends up creating more expansion day over day and more personal power and more personal growth, you'll see that every day you get shit done. Hey guys, Ryan here. Thanks for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume audio and subscribe to 15 Minutes to Freedom. If this brought you value, please do me a favor and drop me a five-star rating. Then share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. For additional content, head over to ryannidell.com. That's R-Y-A-N-N-I-D-D-E-L.com.